Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Avraham Servant goes trying to find a wife for Isaac, and we're going to pick up um, at a pivotal point in that narrative. Uh, it's very interesting. It's actually quite um, a repetitive section of the Parsha, for those who know it, right? We we get the narrative um, uh, of what initially happens, uh, and then we get uh, the servant reciting it to Rivka's family, right? So it, it's quite... Um, it, it, it's a little repetitive. We we could go through sort of the nuances of of how it's told and not told, and and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, that's not quite where going where we are going to um, pick up. As you can tell, I'm having moderate tech issues this morning, but here we go. Uh, I will share my screen so you can see the verse that we're going to focus in on. Um, for those who are not. Uh, seeing what we are all seeing right now. We're in chapter 24, verse 50. So you can hear I'm, I'm sort of scrolling relatively quickly through. This is the servant's recitation of what has happened and what has led him to this moment that he came to the spring. He offered up a prayer to God that there was this woman who, who came and fulfilled the prayer that he had asked for, that Rivka came with her, her jar. She went down to the spring uh, to give him water and to give his camels water. Who are you? Uh, she's the daughter of Betuel. He gave her some jewelry. He knows how to make a girl feel special. Uh, he gives thanks to God. And and here he is, right? He's now in the tent. He's with Rivka's family. And he's saying, yeah, that, that I'm hoping that your daughter, your sister, will come with me um, to become uh, my my master's wife. Um, Rabbi Schatz and I were... We're going to focus in on, on two verses, but we're really just going to focus in on verse 50. But verse 49 uh, sets it up in terms of this turning point. Um, and the servant says, im yeshchem osim chesed ve'emet et adoni hagidli. If you are going to treat uh, my master with, with true kindness, with, with chesed ve'emet doesn't really translate. I don't know if that's true, right? Uh, with, with truth and with, with chesed, with kindness. So you could see true, right? I guess. Um, hagiduli. And if that's not how it's going to go, then, then tell me that too. Ve'efne al yamin o asmal, right? Tell me, tell me where we're at here. I've given you this whole narrative. Here's where I'm coming from. Here is what, uh, the prayer I offered up, how that prayer was fulfilled. Um, I'm hoping she'll come with me. Where do we go from here? Right. And so we're at this turning point in the narrative. And so we're going to, we're going to focus in on verse 50 today. Zoom in so everyone can see it nice and clear. It's also interesting that chesed and emet are two of the words that are used when we describe God. Um, right. I don't know. I don't know. Right. When we, when we go through that list, chesed and emet are in there. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll, I think that, that tees up nicely probably the thing I find most interesting in the verse that we're going to be focusing in on, which is some pretty, pretty interesting uh, theological assessments uh, in terms of how all this works. And, and I'd imagine we're going to explore that a good deal this morning. So here's our verse. Vayan, Lavan, Betuel, Vayamru. Lavan and Betuel uh, 
answered and said, and we can sort of explore those verbs a little bit. There's some interesting stuff in there. This matter was decreed by God. This matter came from God. And I'll, I'll tee up the sense that if you look at the name that they're, that they're saying for God, uh, it's the tetragrammaton, right? Yud and He and Vav and He. There's, there's some comments about how is it that, that these guys, these sort of outsiders know this very special name for God. There's something interesting there. Lo nuchal daber elecha ra otov. Who's to, who's to say? Right, the the servant says, "What's going to happen? Ah, who who really knows? Uh, who are we to say what is or isn't going to happen here? Uh, it's it's in God's hands. God God has decreed it. We cannot speak to you, uh, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, it's it's out of our hands. Obviously, the narrative continues from there, but but we're going to focus in our attention on that specific verse this morning. Uh, spoiler alert, Rebecca ends up going and marrying Isaac. Uh, hopefully folks know that. Um, but but we're going to we're going to pause at this sort of um, uncertain moment in the narrative because there's there's some interesting stuff to explore. Uh, Rabbi Schatz, I don't know if there's any additional context you want to give before we move into into Kushio, but but that's the context. Yeah, I just want to say one thing about the next verse, so you can keep it on for a second. Um, yep. The, we're not going to focus on it, as Rabbi Shapiro just mentioned, but the the verbs that are used are very strong and very straightforward uh, verbs. So as Rabbi Sean Fieldsmeyer likes to translate hine as behold or wow, Rebecca is before you, take and go. It's not even take her and go or walk nicely with her or take her hand or anything like that. It's take and go. So we leave this moment of kind of theological, maybe not unrest, but confusion. Um, and then we have this moment of like, just just leave right now, right? Have it, have it come to the moment where you're going to actually get away from this um, from, from this experience, this moment by just going, there's no, there's no dilly dallying. You're just going to get up and go like a drive through Karen Cass said, sure. Yes. Like taking Rebecca as if she were French fries. Um, all right. So I want to also show you, um, I'm going to stop sharing your screen for one second. Rabbi Shapiro brought, okay. I'm definitely going to stop sharing your screen now. All right. Um, I'm going to show you this picture that has nothing to do with our verse, but I do think it's very cute. And I thought of all of you when I saw it. Do you see what it says? Oh, I have to tell the podcast. It says, Abraham, who looks like a very old, wise man sitting at a desk with a book open, says, I must be getting old, Sarah. I can't remember what this week's Parsha is. And she, with her back to him while peeling potatoes, says, story of my life. Get it? Chaye Sarah. But I'm bum. Okay. I thought that was cuter. Oh, you're some, some of you are laughing. All right. Um, very good. So <laughs> let's look back at the verses. Um, Jay thought it was very cute. So that's fine. We, I, we can now end the podcast. Um, uh, Roshmir, can you share the verses again? Uh, zoomed in. Yes. My, my internet is terrible today. So this is going to be a big adventure as you and I continue to be in conversation doing, together. So far you're doing great. So well, we can keep, Keep it up. Great. Yeah. Also, one day you and I should probably listen to this podcast and just listen to how ridiculous we sound. Okay. Nope. 
So the, what we have done for the past few weeks and what we would love for you to do is um, maybe scroll up a little bit so they can see 49 because I think it plays into 50. Um, we're going to ask some cushiote on these two, well, on these two verses, some, some inquisitive uh, questions, ideas you might have, uh, challenges that you see if you're reading through the Hebrew, words that you might be picking up um, that are either redundant or used in a specific way, like chesed ve'emet, and whatever. So raise your hand. Um, I am going to try to make it so I can see most of you. But yes, if you raise your blue hand like Elon just did, that will be much more helpful. Yeah, Elon, go ahead. So the two uh, disturbing uh, points of this verse yeah. that strike me are, firstly, the matter was decreed by the Lord, right? So there's a question of free will. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the subsidiary of that is the second issue, which is if, in fact, there is no free will because the matter is decreed by the Lord, uh, then there is no accountability, right? We cannot speak uh, to you, good or bad. Hey, whatever happens, happens. The Lord God does it. We have no free will. And therefore, don't blame us if it turns out bad. Great. And the rab- a lot of the rabbis are going to agree with you um, that, that part of what they're saying here, whether or not they can really speak to one side or the other, is kind of null and void. If it's coming from God, then it doesn't matter whether or not we say that was a good idea or a bad idea. It's coming from God. So it just is what it is. Um, I was thinking when reading through that, ah, I'll share this with you afterwards. Okay, Renee. You just have to unmute so we can hear. When you. it yeah. says I'll turn, I may turn right or left. First of all, that that connotation for some reason doesn't sit well with me in general because it's too show all reminding to me. Oh, interesting. <laughs> but, but which is, has nothing to do with the parsha, but it's just the. Yeah, the yeah. Wording. Mm-hmm. But um, what does that mean? I may turn right or left. Like, what happens if you turn right, and what happens if you turn left? Right. Right. There's a lot of directional language in the Torah, and it's very interesting that in this case, it's it's really it's a matter of of choice and how your life is going to pan out if you turn right or you turn left. Um, I had not made the Holocaust um, connection before, but yeah, I can see how that would be um, how that would be triggering if people are thinking of right and left in those kinds of ways. Denise, <clears throat> so. When it says, you know, the matter was decreed by God, and we're all kind of like, oh, yeah, and talking about the implications of that, but where did they even get the idea of God? Because didn't Abraham leave there because they were all into idols? And then yeah, later, did. fast forwarding, like, I think Rachel tries to steal the idols when they leave or something. So, so it just felt weird. Like, where does this God awareness come from? And where was it before? And where did it go later? That's a great question. A really, really great question. And it plays into this idea that there is there's no time in the Torah, right? That nothing that happens in chapter 23 means that it actually happened before chapter 27, right? So the fact that I made reference to this last week, the fact that Abraham brings out to those three men who, who come to his tent, meat and milk, the rabbis say, come on. Of course he knew about Kashrut. That didn't necessarily come before the Ten Commandments. He knew all the laws. So there's this idea of there not being 
a sense of time. And so where did God come from? Where was God before when they didn't have a sense of God? Where does God go later when there isn't a sense of God again? It's a really, really great theological question. Other, yeah, Nora. Unmute, okay. Um, so since I'm, uh, you know, before today, I read it from a different source, the Chabad.org. Yeah. Um, and someone brought up the, you know, free will and decree. And in the, um, the Chabad uh, translation, it says emanate and not decree, which gives a whole, you know, difference. So again, I'm, I always come with the word <laughs> interpretation. So I'm curious from the Hebrew, which has the closer, leaning because i think that also affects i mean decree has more of a legal aspect to it and a little bit more hard whereas emanate it's like it just came from god and may lend to the free will question also yeah it also just shows that that um every every interpretation is its own is its own commentary um it, the word is the words that um, Rabbi Shapiro mentioned that he's going to go into a little bit later are the words vayaan and vayomru, which basically just mean answer and say. So neither of them mean decree and neither of them mean emanate, but they're both I think, used. I, I think she's referring to Adonai Yatsa Hadavar, right? That the matter was that the matter was decreed by the Lord and Meora to, to your point. I think I think the Chabad translation is closer to the pshat of the text, right? Because yats, yatsa means yeah. means goes goes out, right? It's not siva, right? It's not God commanded the matter. Yeah. It's matter This matter came from God. This matter emanated from God. I I, I think. As Rabbi Schatz said, yes, translation is always interpretation. Um, and there's some interesting stuff to play with in terms of what some other sources indicate about, uh, I'll say, God and matchmaking. Uh, there's a midrash that I'm very excited to share a little bit later, midrash that I'm excited to share a little bit later on. But but I think in terms of the pshat, I think that Chabad translation is probably um, closer to to that sort of original um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, for the correction. Hebrew, Hebrew word. Yeah, thank you for the correction. Yeah, for sure. If it comes from that word, it definitely is closer. Yeah, Nancy. So reading how strong this is, that whether the matter was decreed or emanated by the Lord, it makes it sound like there are no decisions, which makes it sound like this Parsha was written by two different people. Because later mm -hmm. on, not what happens. It mm -hmm. isn't just, it's decreed so we can do nothing. I mean, Rebecca, right, actually gets asked. So it, that's confusing. Yeah, great. Yeah, different kinds of, of interpretations of the same story um, in terms of what they're feeling or how they're looking on to the, the experience versus what actually happens later. And is that two different authors or is it just two different, you know, viewpoints onto the same, the same scenario? Yeah, Rebecca. I have a lot of Rebecca talk today. Me, you, the Parsha. Um, okay. I started talking and I was still muted. Um, so reading through it two or three times, I see that there's, so are, are you going to do, you know, right by me or whatever way you translate that or not? And then there's turn right or left. And then there's, we can't say bad or good. And it sounds, and, and reading through it over and over again, I have this, my question is whether Yamin or small meaning right or left are equivalent or are they actually is Yamin referring to if you say yes and small is if you say no 
or and Ra is for small and Tov is for Yamin, you know. So I'm wondering if Yamin or small here are two actually two different um, behaviors based on the uh, the answer rather than just I'll just go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, one of, I can't remember which commentary it is, but I'm going to bring it up um, uh, later, that there is this, that there is this idea that Ra does stand for one thing in, in her future life and that Toe stands for another thing. So it's probable that Yamin and Small also take those same midrashic approaches. Um, this rabbi will only be talking about Ra and Toe, but you're picking up on a really interesting on a really interesting reflection within these two these two verses. Jay. Um, I was going to ask, I know it's sort of related to this, but how old was Rebecca in this? Oh, we don't know. So um, I actually spoke on this last night for those of, or, or yesterday morning, for those of you who are with me for Midrasha, I spoke about how in the Torah it is written Na'ar, um, which is the form for saying young boy, actually, in today's modern day Hebrew, but it's written with the voweling of modern day with a kamatz underneath. So it says, if you read it, it's supposed to sound like na'ara, but in the actual text, it's na'ar, um, which if you're interested, I can tell you where that comes up. Um, so that, it, we we don't know how old she is, like, in years, um, though if the Torah gave us years, we also wouldn't be sure how old she was. Um, but she was young. She was known as probably a teenager, not an adult. Um, depend, uh, that is, which is how it's, she's depicted in her description. Yeah. Um, any hey, other? Are you, are you, are you asking that because you're curious about agency for her? Is that, is that what's prompting the question there? Just, you know, her rights and her want, how she felt about this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And later on, when we actually see the story of Rebecca unfold, we see that whether or not she was old or young, she felt a lot of agency and she felt like she really could speak her mind. Um, uh, and, and in fact, her family uplifted her to be able to do so. So, but yeah, it's a great point. Renee. I was yep. curious about black back to the left and right that I was curious about. I looked up in the Rashi and it says scripture always arranges directions with reference to one facing east. So north is called left and south is called right. Abraham lived in Hebron and Lot lived in the north left in the Dead Sea area. And Ishmael was in the south, the right in the desert of Paran. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's how they were measuring whether to uh, turn right or left. And I think to, to there's a, there's a practical component there too, right? That, um, that they're looking for someone who's not in the nuclear family, but they are looking for a relative as a spouse. Rabbi Schatz and I were talking about this, um, earlier, um, this week that Yitzchak and Rivka are, are related, right? Um, and so the right or left there is not just identifying in terms of, this, this is Rashi's interpretation of those words, right? But that yes. um, looking looking for someone else in the family, right? Whether it's from Lot or from Yishmael, right? If this isn't going to work out, all right, well, those are that's those are the next spots on the find a wife for Yitzchak train, right? That that that's sort of potentially going to be the next move, which is interesting. Um, 
I don't see any other hands, I don't think. Do you, Rabbi Shapiro? No, okay. Um, all right, so I'm gonna share my screen because you all seem to like being able to see the sources I'm referring to, so I'm gonna show you. Um, okay, so I'm gonna show you this one first. Um, so when, when we're talking here about, so here's the verse here. Uh, so this is the same um, part that Neora asked a question about and Rabbi Shapiro responded correctly. Um, so what we're talking about here is that this somehow originated or came from or emanated or dec was decreed by God. Levan meant that it was evident from the order in which matters had occurred that a higher power was involved here. They acknowledged that matchmaking was a preserve of celestial forces in Sota, in the Gemara, it states that 40 days prior to the development of the fetus, a heavenly voice proclaims that the daughter of so-and-so will be married to so-and-so, even if the two people involved live on opposite sides of the ocean. Okay, it's also brought up in Proverbs um, in a different place. Clearly, parents are only able to bequeath you material riches, whereas only God can provide you with the soulmate you crave. Parents are unable to bequeath you the proper wife. In a manner of speaking, such sentiments are also reflected in Solomon's famous poem about the woman of valor, Eshet Chayim. So I'm just going to scroll down to the bottom here, though I'm happy to send this to you if you want to see, if you want to read the whole thing. Um, sorry, hold on, I have to find where it starts. Shatz, can I, can I toss in the, the Midrash that I referenced, since I think it gives sort of like a different... Yeah, let me just, let me, you're frozen. Let, yes, let me just finish this and then you can. Like a narrative-ish take? Yes, let me, what? let me just. Did you want to keep, you can keep going. Okay. <laughs> you just cut out, so I kept going. The reason that the Tama did not phrase the statement simply plony el plony, right, person to person, was to show that the statement is not to be taken literally, but that it applies the relationships between different spiritual concepts. Says such concepts to have to exist in a form of marriage to one another. This is also why the sages in the Talmud mentioned the female before the male. Okay. So what I wanted to bring up here is similar to actually Elon's frustration at the beginning was that there is this concept of marriage not being something that we as people can even speak to. And I didn't know this as Midrash or as even like Jewish thought until I was researching this, um, this, uh, this verse that, um, yes, more Jewish mysticism for Rebecca Schatz. Very good. Um, that, that this is something that people actually believe, that people believe that when you are born, similar to, I think, the secular concept of, um, of a soulmate, right? Or the idea of a beshert, that, that there is someone who is meant to be your partner. And however you find that person is your story, but that that person was set out to be your person from conception. And I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I believe that as, as a person and as a thinker. Um, but it does bring God into this, into this partnership in a very powerful and, and some could say troubling and challenging way. Um, that if Rebecca were to end up with someone else, would that person not be as good? Right? What if they had a better marriage and a better future than she and Isaac end up having? Right? What, 
what does that say about the partnership that you that you choose to be in? So I just wanted to bring that up because I I wonder first of all if people have have comments on that, but also how that sits with people because I do think that's the general kind of understanding of our rabbis in this in the comment in the comments that they have on on this part. And I know that Rabbi Shapiro is going to bring in a midrash that brings the point even further into narrative um, if he can be heard and. Uh, uh, yeah, so Rabbi Shapiro, why don't you share, and then we can see if people have questions on the concept. Sure. I'll, I'll foreground it by sort of addressing the general concept and then um, sharing the Midrash uh, itself, which is, you know, the, the concept of things being sort of to go with the original translation that we were exploring, the, the, the idea of things being decreed and all of the attendant challenges it raises that, that I think Elon was naming right from the outset in terms of uh, accountability um, and, you know, ownership over one's actions instead of just saying like, oh, it's in God's hands um, is very troubling for me. I'll also say, you know, the, the concept of recognizing how much it is out of our control um, and trying to um, be an acceptance of that while also not letting ourselves off the hook for the things that we can take action on um, is, is, is challenge, right? What's, what's the right balance there? I think, I think it's a, it's a really big question. Um, there's, there's a midrash that I love about this concept of matchmaking specifically. I think some of the Rebbeinu Bachia teaching was, was uh, referencing um, this at least implicitly, because it's from Breshit Rabbah, which I'm sure Rabbi Nabachian knew. Just give it to you in English. It's it, it's a nice uh, it's a nice little narrative. Um, so so here we go. A Roman woman asked Rabbi Yossi, "In how many days did God create the world?" In six, he answered. Since then, she asked, "What has God been doing?" A fair question, right? God's been around for a while. What has what has God been up to? Matching couples for marriage, responded. Rebiosi. That's it? She said dismissively, even I can do that. I have many slaves, male and female. In no time at all, I can match them for marriage. Very heteronormative. We can get into that later. To which Rebiosi countered, though this may be an easy thing for you to do, for God, it is as difficult as splitting the Red Sea. All right. How do we think our Roman woman is going to do? Uh, not, not so great. Um, she took her leave. Did I cut out again? Nope. Great. Whereupon she took her leave. The next day, she lined up a thousand male slaves, a thousand female slaves, paired them off before nightfall. The morning after, her estate resembled a battlefield. One slave had his head bashed in. Another had lost an eye, while a third hobbled because of a broken leg. Things went bad real quick. No one seemed to want his or her assigned mate. Quickly, she summoned Rabiosi and acknowledged, your God is unique and your Torah is true, pleasing and praiseworthy. You spoke wisely. Um, it, it's a fascinating story. There's a lot to unpack in there. Uh, but I think um, just to, to name out the implicit theological concept and to speak to it personally, right? the, the sense there is that it's really hard to figure out who goes with who, right? That it's not as simple as just slapping people together and say, you with you, right? Uh, Joe with Joanne and Tony with Antonia and you guys go together and Shabbat Shalom and it's going to be great, 
right? That, that it takes um, some skill and some nuance. I would add into that, that relationships take work, period, right? That, that I also feel um, agnostic at best about the idea of a, of a single soulmate. I think relationships take work and we each need to um, put the work into our relationships of all kinds, romantic or otherwise, to sustain them. I'll also say Renee, Renee messaged me privately. She said, does that mean you don't believe in things being beshared? That's a big question, Renee. I, I, I will say one of the ways in which I, I have felt God's hand very much in my life is how I met Sarah. Um, for those of you who don't know, I, I was but a young prospective rabbinical student visiting both New York and Los Angeles. Uh, and I met Sarah like any good prospective rabbinical student uh, at Minion. The first morning I was ever in Los Angeles uh, and things just sort of went from there, right? That could have gone so many different ways. Um, and you could attribute that to chance. You could attribute that to that's just how things happen. You could attribute that to I made choices and that's how that's unfolded. Um, but I feel something bigger than me in that, right? I, I feel that in that relationship. Um, or the Bashards. If, if, yeah, you, you, you could potentially call it that, as Renee is. Uh, BJ, yeah. Well, certainly in the Parsha, this is not constructed as some chance encounter, right? That this was a there's the divine hand at work in this whole episode, right? That the servants are saying, okay, we're going to set up this test, right? I'm going to stand by this well and ask the first lady, you know, ask each, each girl that comes by for water, I'm going to wait for the one that draws it for me and my camels. Boom, two seconds later, girl walks up, first one out of the gate, offers water. You know, it says, right, scarcely had I finished my prayer or something. You know, Rebecca walks up, hey, can I have some water? Yeah, how would I get some for your camels too, right? You know, so this is not a chance encounter. This is, there is the work of God here, you have to think, right? And that this was... This was going to be what was going to be happening. You know, this was divinely sort of uh, chosen as a path, and and this was set up so humans would understand it. But but this was not just a chance encounter. So, yeah. uh, and and what's and what's interesting to me about like the midrash inverts that, right? The the midrash says, and if you and if you don't go with that, uh, look out, right? That that things can really go. Um, awry, you know, and, and in some ways, I guess in my head, I see the scene as, as comical because it feels so over the top. But in thinking about it further, um, it's a disturbing image, right? That, that, that there can be violence that comes out of relationships that go awry, right? It's not, right? That can be a really traumatic and painful thing for people when a relationship, um, doesn't work. Or to put it one step further, there are relationships that people stay in because either implicitly or explicitly they're being told, you need to stay in that relationship. You made that commitment, like it or not, you're in that relationship, right? So, so the inverse of that can, can also be really troubling. Um, there, Nora put, put, in, put in the chat an interesting comment, right? Maybe our Bashirts aren't people that it'll pan out whether we work at it or not, but the people we have the most powerful potential with when we do work at it, right? So a, a sense of partnership there, right? It's not all one or all the other, but um, there's, there's the people who we are kind of drawn to, who we feel implicit connections with automatically, um, and then having the opportunity to build and work at those relationships. So it's not as black or white. 
Um, does anybody have any thoughts about either of the pieces that were just brought? Um, the commentary of the midrash. Before we take kind of a different, a different angle on this. No. Okay. Um, so one of the things that I this is where I I was about to say this when I was talking to Elon and then I stopped myself and I'll share it here. One of the things that I am struck by in this verse is the fact that a person in relationship with God does not feel like one can criticize or say something good or bad. That either way that it's in God's hands and so it doesn't matter what I say because it's just going to be decided and so that's it and I shouldn't respond. Now, it strikes me for, for a few reasons. Number one, because it's not how Rebecca interacts with this scenario at all moving forward. She does, she doesn't share so many words, but she does have a say and she does say something. Um, and so she, it, in that, right, we see that in fact, it does matter that you have feelings about something or in this case, someone and that you share them, even if God is involved. And I, at least in my, theology. Um, I, I think that it is, um, I think that it is good. And I think that it is healthy to be in a relationship with God where you can not only challenge that which you might feel or believe, but also be able to insert yourself in that relationship. So whether you're a person who prays or you're a person who just speaks to God as if God is a character in your home, or if you're a person who doesn't believe in God at all, but recognizes that things in nature are happening and the way that humans are dealing with the world is is either positive or negative, depending on the day. Um, and so dealing with that in a way that we don't just see it as a guy sitting in a chair upstairs that we have nothing to do with is at least the way that I interact with the world, that I want to make sure that I feel like I have some say and some interaction with how things are going for me in my life and for the life of the community that I, that I put myself in. The other thing that I'll say is to bring it out of God language for a second and just into to human life is that if if any of us work with people who are above us, right, whether or not we are um, high up in our positions and it's one person or we are the top, there's always someone or something who you're going to feel like you are responding to, right? Even CEOs feel as though there is someone that they are responding to no matter how how that food chain works itself out. If something is happening in your organization, let's just use that word so it's across the board. If something is happening in your line of work in that organization and the person at the top decides we are going to do something, I have decided this is what's happening and you don't agree, then what happens when it's just decided that that's, that that's going to be what takes place? Right? Do you share your opinions? Do you say this is how I feel? This is how this is how this is making me feel? Or do you just recognize that there's someone higher up than you who's going to make those decisions? And to me, that's how this verse reads. This verse reads as there is someone higher up than myself. And so whether I say something good or bad doesn't really matter because it's already been decided by the person who has the power. In this case, God. So I want to read one commentary that that speaks to exactly what I'm uh, bringing up here. 
And it says, it's Rashi. Um, and the part of the verse that says, Lo we're not, we can't say anything to you, refusing this proposition either by answering you with unpleasant words or by giving you a reasoned reply. For it is evident that the matter that comes before you from God is according, according to your statement that God brought her and you, and you together. So whether I think this is a good shidduch or not, doesn't really matter. God brought you together. That's how it's going to go. So I, I really love, and this isn't in our verse, but I really love that Rebecca's job later on is to insert herself, is to use her voice. Because we see that even if they were not able to use their voices in that powerful way, that somehow she comes about and uses her voice. Um, I have one more piece, but I want to flip it over to Rabbi Shapiro if he wants to comment on that, and then we can move to the last piece. I don't, I don't have a specific comment on on that Rashi. I'm just sort of internally wrestling. I guess I'm no longer internally wrestling. I'm talking out loud. Um, wrestling with, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll offer it up like this. You know, folk, folks know I worked at Beit Shuva for a while. There's, there's a reading um, in the big book and like the core text of Alcoholics Anonymous um, that talks about acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. Right. That that when I see things happening in the world that I want to control that don't seem like they're they're going my way, um, that the challenge of coming to acceptance of those things. And again, there's sort of that dance that we're referring to of being in acceptance of what's happening around us and saying, OK, there are just things that are out of my control and still having agency. And Rabbi Schatz, I think you're referring to that in terms of um, Levant and the Tuel saying, this isn't really in our hands. And then Rivka exercising that agency. You know, it, it, it's interesting in that regard. There's Nobody picked up on it when we were doing Kushiot, but the the verbs at the beginning of verse 50 are interesting because it's Vaya'an Lavan, Uve Tuel Vayomru, right? Lavan answered and Lavan and Bituel said, right? Like there's there's a singular and then there's a plural verb there Right. So they're they're like sort of talking over each other to then both say it's out of our hands. We can't really do anything, which is interesting. Um, but, you know, then, then I also think about the serenity prayer. Right. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Acceptance, the courage to change the things I can. I have some agency and the wisdom to know the difference. Right. It seems like th- there's a sense that Rifka has been chosen and Levan and Bituel are then kind of saying, Okay, that doesn't really seem like it's up to us. But I'll, I'll highlight again that in that verse, the fact that they use um, that that really holy name of God, right? The holiest name of God. And how can they possibly have known that name, which there were questions about earlier. Um, I, I found an interesting piece exploring that a bit. But Rabbi Shaz, I don't know if you want to toss one more piece in the hopper before that. Um, sure. I, I was just reading through the through the piece to decide if I want to share the whole thing. And I'm not going to, I'm just going to share with you. Oi. I want to share with you. Everything's okay. I want to share with you, um, kind of what the punch stuff. Punch what is, I dropped something. Sorry. Um, breaking things. So the punchline is that this bad and good back to Rebecca's point, the bad and good are seen by this commentary, the Shnei Luchotev Reach, which I think I actually brought last time. Um, is saying that bad is in regard to Esav and good is in regard to Jacob. And that they can't speak to how, remember later on, Rebecca receives a blessing 
they can't speak to later on whether or not this is the right move because there will from her be both bad and good. But this idea that there is something that comes from her that has both. So it's not all good. It's not all bad. But it's this um, this challenge of understanding that from your relationship, Rebecca and Isaac, you in in what you're going to produce will be both good and bad. So if the two of them had spoken to this relationship that's about to come together, how could they say anything good or bad when it's going to result in so much goodness and so much not such goodness? Um, and that, so that's how they describe what the bad and good is here, which I, I really like because it also takes the kind of the, the weight and the responsibility off of whether or not we believe that God really decreed this. Um, I like that it's about what we put out into the world and that our relationships have consequences, both some good and some bad. Um, so anyway, Rebecca, I want to bring that to to answer the the good and bad question, and just to leave that as a non theological response to this very theologically based um, sentence here. There, there's another piece I saw that that's also non theological, more linguistic, but harkens back to a phrase that I'm sure many of you will recognize as well. In the Eitzchayim, they make the comment that. Um, Saying to in the Torah, saying two opposites indicates a totality, right? So saying tovara indicates everything running the gamut, right? Not a ten on the good scale, not a ten on the bad scale, but but that and everything in between. And the reference they make is back to Gan Eden, which is etzad, right? When they say etzadat tovara, right? That when they ate from that tree, they weren't just learning what was super good and what was super bad. They were learning those two poles and everything in between as well. So in, in some ways through, through that statement, they're saying we can say even less, right? We can't say anything at all, but that it's less about we give it, we give two thumbs up or two thumbs down on this. It's that this seems to be something that's, um, uh, just sort of, out of out of our understanding, stam like just generally, um, but but also and, and that and it's, sorry. This is something that we also we haven't spoken about a lot, but but it what you just said made me think about the result of the words that could have been said, could have been heard as bad or good, right? Lashon hara. I'm sure many of you know this. Lashon hara is not just saying bad things about someone behind their back. It's saying anything behind someone's back because even good things, if I say to BJ, it's just fun to pick on BJ. If I say to BJ, <laughs> um, I, I really love Neora, right? And BJ says back to me, oh, really? I, I heard that there was this one thing that happened this one time. I know they don't know each other, which is why I chose them. Um, right, so the, this... This idea that, that it's not just that they could have said something, but it's what could have been perceived from their words, which is, which is, goes back to the Gan Aiden piece because we didn't know what was good and what was bad. And had they said something that they, they might have meant as good, it might have come across as bad. Um, I hadn't thought about that, but I really, I like that it's not necessarily the words that they would have spoken, but it's the way in which we or the present company would have understood the words that they would have shared. You said you had a piece you wanted to share. 
I did. I was seeing if other people had said, well, I'm, oh, I'm, oh. I'm talking a lot. I wanted to see if anybody else said anything. They want to share. We got, we got, we got, we got Nancy. We got Gary. Karen's been quiet. You know, I want to, I want to see if, uh, if other folks want to, want to say, but that's okay. Um, the, the, the piece I'll add. So for the, do, do folks know who Nakama Leibovitz is? Folks know Nakama Leibovitz? So always, always fantastic. It's, oh, oh. It's it's always it's always a jackpot when you're looking at a verse um and it turns out there's like a whole Nechama Leibovitz essay on that verse it's because she weaves the yep very that is oh oh uh, no Karen that's that's the bedside Torah by Rabbi Brad Artson but that, that's a, so that's a different book but also good um so uh it's always a jackpot when why are you making faces Karen what happened I can't hear you at all. But, <laughs> Okay. He's typing it. Right. Show the show book. Show the book again. Oh, show the book again. Yes. Oh, both of us. Here, I'll spot. Oh, spotlight. There we go. Spotlight for everyone. There we go. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Thank you, Vanna. Okay. So, um, uh, uh, oh, 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 Bonnie. Let's see, Bonnie. There we go. Oh, mm. there's also. There oh, we go. there's also Nakamalebovitz. Yeah. Wow. Probably. Yeah, very good. Okay. Uh, thus ends the show and tell portion of our <laughs> program. I'll do it. Very good. Um, so, um, yes. Like Rabbi Shapiro, where did you go? Again. No, no, you're back. You're back. Okay. Something is... Awry. Um, no, now you're back. Keep going. Go. Am go. I back? Yes, go fast. Great. Okay, fantastic. Very good. It's always... <laughs> oh, man. Always good when you have Nechama Levitz. She weaves together so many pieces together so beautifully. And what she picks up on in this specific verse is she, she highlights a back and forth. What she sees as a back and forth between Rashi and Ramban um, in terms of a phrase within the verse, this one that we've been playing with a bit that, that, uh, that the matter emanated from was decreed by God, because she points out that oftentimes when a phrase like that is said in Torah, Rashi, who always wants to sort of see how the different pieces are connected, wants to explore like, okay, so it's saying that came from God, but where could we have seen that earlier or even later on in the narrative, right? What sort of what, what's the internal proof within the Torah that this is really something that, that emanated from God? And he doesn't do that. He doesn't do this in this verse. And then Ramban says, well, you know what? Sometimes, sometimes a phrase is just a phrase, right? You don't, you don't necessarily need to connect it one thing all the way over to the other thing. He says sometimes a phrase is just a phrase. And Nechama Leibovitz gives like sort of an interesting next level gloss on that. She makes a, she makes a really interesting point in terms of um, potentially how how we ourselves can experience the world and God within the world. She writes, "There's no need of texts or di- mysterious divine voices. Right? We don't need to connect one verse to another. You don't need to know exactly where it comes from. The truly perceptive and understanding person." catches the word of God in the everyday round of events and the fate of individuals and people, which I think is, is really beautiful. And 
um, subversive within the Torah and still challenging and beautiful, right? Beautiful because I think it's a beautiful sentiment. Subversive insofar as as a lot of the Mafarshim go out of their way, and understandably so, given what we know about Levan later on and how he interacts with Yaakov, etc., go out of their way to portray Betuel and Levan, particularly Levan, as as bad, right? So Nechama's comment is particularly subversive in that she's saying, by by virtue of the fact that they're seeing God in this happening, they're actually quite perceptive and understanding, right? Which is an interesting subversion of the sense that they're bad, they don't know what they're talking about, they're not taking ownership, that they're actually able to access something bigger than them in this moment, which is really interesting. Still challenging in terms of trying to see fate, or she uses that word fate, although she writes in Hebrew, so I don't know what the Hebrew word is there, maybe Bonnie has it, um, right? But, but the sense that there's, there is something bigger than us. But again, I, I do think it's, it's theologically challenging and potentially powerful to think about where in my life, where in our lives, do we see, if you want to go anthropomorphic with it, the hand of God? Where in our lives do we experience something bigger than us? And how do we see that unfolding? It's a challenging question. And I think it's an important question and certainly a thought-provoking one. Yeah, Ilan. Yeah, I would actually posit that the fact that they acknowledge God's existence or God's intervention in this sentence and then subsequently go on to behave in a bad way actually makes it worse. Because to the extent that they are ignorant, it's fine to say, well, listen, these guys had no clue. Who it is. And, but the fact that actually they should have known better, to me, makes it far worse. Hmm. So, the yeah. The, the fact the fact that they it seems like even have one moment where they have a glimmer of seeing that operating in the world and that later on the Levan in particular acts so poorly um, reflects even worse on him is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and, and also, in some ways, I think potentially relatable. Right. I, I, I've had moments where I felt very connected to something bigger than me. Uh, I've had moments where I have not been my best. Right. It's almost like the political. I hate to bring politics into it, but many people will say, well, you know, Donald Trump is what he is. And he's just a buffoon. He doesn't know any better. But all these Republicans who are who should know better are uh, are enabling and whatever. And, and actually what the people who know better but don't do anything about it are actually worse. I'm going to go right over to Nora on that. <laughs> Um, I might be jumping here, but I really wanted to bring up um, a different tone to the, uh, where is it? We can, um, we cannot speak to you either good, uh, bad or good. My first reaction to that actually wasn't so much that um, I didn't think about it that way that we can't challenge. But my first reaction was that they have so much faith that they can just trust the, um, you know, what God says. And number two, um you know, they might have a lot of um, intense emotions about um, Rivka going. And sometimes it's a lot easier to deal with those emotions when you don't have a choice, kind of. So when an authority figure makes a hard line, it's sometimes it could be a relief, like, oh, I, I don't have to make a de- decision here on something very major. Um, mm-hmm. Confusion can be something like, can be like the worst feeling sometimes. So sometimes when an authority figure gives you a hard line and decision, sometimes it's a relief 
So just one way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really, I appreciate that as, as kind of a, a closing statement, right? That we can, we can think about the ways in which this speaks to us as, as giving us power to sometimes say more or do more, or also just sit in the fact that sometimes, sometimes we have to take a deep breath and say, okay, this is out of my hands. There is literally nothing else I can do, nothing else I can say that will make this positive. So I'm just going to let it be. And letting it be is really, really hard, especially if it's something that you strongly believe in. Um, and and I I think that I think that there is when we when we talk about this particular moment in hearing the bad or the good that. Also emotions, when you're very emotional about something, you can have the best intentions and the way in which you say something can come across as derogatory or challenging or not the way in which you mean it because you're passionate and you're frustrated. And so it comes across as good, as bad when it was meant to come across as good and, and enamored with something. So I, I hope that you, first of all, I think both Rabbi Shapiro and I always hope that what this class does is allow you to focus in on a Parsha deeply that you might have just glossed over. Um, so I hope that that happened for you again today and that you can now read the rest of the Parsha um, through, through the lens of this being a major starting point. But also for all of us to think about where are the moments that we are too passive, that we need to say actually... I have a voice in this and I need to say something. And when are the moments that we maybe say too much or we overstay our welcome in terms of the things that we have tried to do to make it change and it's just not changing? And do we just take a deep breath and say, okay, someone else is now in charge of this. And just as Nayara just said, allow that to be okay and allow it to just to just be. Um, so I hope that this is a Shabbos of allowing yourself to just be and um, and appreciate the peace that is Shabbat without needing to check a TV for an election result and just have a Shabbat Shalom and hope to see you sometime soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.